Ignition running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. I, there's a huge, huge, big, giant, huge, scandalous story involving Speaker David Ralston. Now, before we get to that, though, we need to deal with the budget resolution that is currently being voted on. Even as I'm talking right now, the United States Senate is voting on this resolution Uh, You know, I had Congressman Roy from Texas on the other day warning that the actual text uh, would be worse than presented. It appears he was right. Uh, It doesn't appear he was right. It looked like a fair deal as presented last week. And the actual text revealed this morning before the House began voting on it. It's a disaster, folks. So here's let me give you one of the the tidbits of information I've gotten from people in the uh, U.S. House of Representatives. One of the pieces in this actual budget deal says that uh, essentially uh, local authorities will have veto power and uh, over the approved areas where a wall can be built. So a local government, a county, where the wall is to be built can deny the federal government the right to build the wall there. Now, here's the kicker. They also listed in this legislation where those parts of the wall can actually be built. You will not be surprised to learn that the areas where Congress says the wall can be built are districts that went 80% for Hillary Clinton against Donald Trump. In other words... They're going to build the wall through areas held by local governments that are Democrat, and they're going to give local authorities, local governments, the ability to approve or deny the construction of the wall in those areas. That's not a good deal. That is not a good deal. Uh, Also, um, they're giving wide, wide latitude to amnesty provisions that are in there um, so that ICE cannot detain or remove anyone who has any kind of relationship with an unaccompanied minor. 80% of unaccompanied minors have sponsors in the United States who are here illegally. 30 to 40% of MS-13 arrests have been unaccompanied minors. I didn't know that fact got that from the House of Representatives today. And now we will not be able to remove them from the country under this deal. That's that's not good. The president says nonetheless he's going to sign it. However, Vice President Pence says the president is very unhappy about it. Um, in fact, the, pres- the vice president came out earlier today talking about this. Mitch McConnell also coming out talking about it and the lay of the land for the president. Just listen to how the vice president characterizes this situation. The president and I have spoken several times during the course of the trip. I know the president is still evaluating uh, the bill that the conference committee uh, has uh, produced. I think he's been very clear that uh, he's not happy with it, uh, seeing less than $1.4 billion dollars. In, in border wall funding, I know, was a disappointment uh, to the president. But, uh, but as he's considering the bill, there's $23 billion in border security funding, including many of the priorities that we requested uh, to address what is a real crisis on our southern border. And I know the president is considering that as well as other authority he has. 
And here's Mitch McConnell on the floor of the Senate. He, I would say to all my colleagues, has indicated he's prepared to sign the bill. He will also be issuing a national emergency declaration at the same time. And I've indicated to him that I'm going to prepare, I'm going to support the national emergency declaration. So for all of my colleagues, uh, the president will sign the bill. Yeah, he will sign the bill. This is a problem. An emergency declaration is a dangerous, dangerous precedent. And the reason it's a dangerous precedent is because if the president uses this, declares it's a national security issue, and uses an emergency declaration to try to secure the border, well, the Joint Chiefs of Staff have issued a report on climate change under the Obama administration that has not been walked back by the Trump administration. And the Joint Chiefs of Staff have declared climate change a national security issue. The authority that President Trump is conjuring from the bowels of the Constitution to do a national emergency will be used by a future Democrat. And I know there are some of you, because I've heard from some of you, saying, oh, well, they're going to do it anyway, except Barack Obama never did. Even with DACA and DAPA, President Obama relied on precedent from the Bush administration. He never just conjured stuff up from the bowels of the Constitution, like President Trump is doing an emergency declaration. It's not a good precedent for the president to set. It will be used by future presidents in the same way Donald Trump has been using precedent set by Barack Obama to do things conservatives like. Now, here's the other thing. This will be stopped by a federal judge. I have no doubt a federal judge somewhere in this country, probably San Francisco, will issue an injunction. You can't be so sure that a future judge will do the same when a Democrat does it. In fact, if anything, they'll probably rush into court in San Francisco and get a federal judge to say, oh, no, this looks good to me. Conservatives can never game the system in the way that Democrats game the system. So you got to be careful when you do this stuff, folks. I Listen, I, I realize there are things you want to do. I realize a lot of you, you, you got to build the wall. You want to build the wall. You want the president to build the wall. This isn't the way to go about doing it. In fact, frankly, there's been a lot of squandered capital among Republicans, including the president, over the last six months in, in this. It's like, you know, it's like the Republicans are so busy doing tactics, they haven't mapped out a strategy. The Democrats have a strategy, and they deploy tactics in pursuit of that strategy. The Republicans are just waking up doing very short-term uh, things, uh, carrying out short-term goals, doing uh, small tactics to try to move forward without any comprehensive strategy of where they're going. It's very frustrating to see as someone who's done politics in the past. They, they need a better strategy. They don't seem to have one. And, and frankly, they seem not to have had a strategy contemplating the Democrats taking back Congress. But okay, now we've got to talk about David Ralston. This is a horrific story. And one of the, the key and interesting parts of this story is that Republicans in our state legislature here in Georgia are deeply, deeply fearful of suburban women. They are scared to death that they will lose control of the General Assembly in 2020 because of, of suburban women. So let me read you the beginning of this story. This story, uh, Johnny Edwards at the AJC. David Shell has a long record of beating up women. He once beat his ex-wife so badly, she blacked out, her left eye nearly swollen shut. Then he locked her in their home so she couldn't reach a hospital, she said. 
Another time, he threw a girlfriend to the ground and slapped and choked her, court records show. So when another bruised and bloodied girlfriend told police he had flown into a rage and headbutted her and bit her finger at a camper park in Ella J. Shell faced serious consequences. A grand jury charged him as a repeat offender, which could mean up to 20 years in prison for aggravated assault. Yet more than four years after his indictment, Shell remains a free man. The charges against him stymied. A big reason? He paid a large retainer fee to hire an attorney who is also one of Georgia's most powerful lawmakers, State Speaker of the House, David Ralston. Just as Ralston has done for other clients charged with violent or heinous crimes, he used his elected position to delay hearings and court dates, preventing the case from moving forward in the Gilmer County justice system. Quote, direct quote, that's why I gave him 20000 bucks," Shell told the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Quote, he's worth every penny of it. This is a joint investigation by WSB-TV and the AJC. Here's what they found. Ralston has been using his power as Speaker of the House to get repeated continuances in cases involving some pretty heinous crimes. He's tied up cases for clients charged with child molestation, child cruelty, assault, terroristic threats, drunk driving, and other crimes. David Ralston is helping keep accused child molesters from going to jail by virtue of just not letting the case go to trial. He writes letters that stave off the, the cases in bulk, keeps his clients free on bond, while the chances of escaping harsh punishment get better and better with every passing year. Why? Because the victims begin to forget over time. They block it out. Their memories go bad. And so Ralston lets the clock run. See, there's a state law that goes back to 1905. Uh, judges and prosecutors have to defer to legislative schedule of any practicing attorney who serves in the General Assembly. So if you're in the 40-day legislative session, you can grant get a continuance. But Ralston, a speaker, claims that he's basically a, is part of the legislature all the time so he can get a continuance whenever he wants. Y'all, the Republicans in the state legislature are scared of the, the blowback from suburban women. And they are propping up as Speaker of the House a man who is helping keep accused child molesters and wife beaters from going to jail. He's using his power to prevent them from ever going to trial until the memories of the victims fade enough that they can get a reduced sentence or be found not guilty. This is horrific. And this does not matter whether you are Republican or Democrat. It does not matter whether you are a liberal or a conservative. This is an issue of right from wrong, not right from left. This is the Speaker of the House in Georgia using his power as Speaker to keep bad people on the street. This is horrific. And what are the conservatives in the state legislature doing? They're apparently not doing anything. There is no pressure being brought to bear on the Speaker of the House. I think he needs some pressure brought to bear. If you agree with me, I hope you'll text the word speaker to 345-345. I can get you in touch with your state representatives so that you can get them on record as to where they stand on this issue. Text the word speaker to 345-345. I think that you have a right to know from your state representative if they support the Speaker of the House using his authority 
to keep accused child molesters from ever having to face justice? I think it's a relevant question. Y'all, I, I just, I continue to be struck by this story about David Ralston and the lack of reaction to it. And I understand the need to allow lawyers to serve in the state legislature and to balance uh, that service to their service as lawyers. And so it, it's a longstanding precedent in this in this state that if the legislature's in session, uh, lawyers don't have to go to court. And, and I think that's perfectly fine. But you have people in this story about David Ralston admitting that they hire him for this. They hire him to keep this out of jail. Uh, and and what is, what's so amazing here is that the AJC and uh, WSP-TV went multiple times to try to find judges and court clerks who would go on the record and couldn't. They're too scared of David Ralston to speak up about it. Um, behind the scenes, they too think it's an abuse of power, but they can't do anything about it. Let me let me read you just one, one more paragraph here. In case after case reviewed by the newspaper and Channel 2, Ralston utilized uh, the provision of getting out of court because he's the speaker repeatedly. One man's DUI case has been pending for more than a decade, delayed at least 17 times by Ralston. A man charged with enticing a child for indecent purposes has been awaiting trial since 2009, with Ralston filing for 14 delays. It's been more than five years since a 14-year-old girl told police that a traveling evangelist who preached at her church and stayed over at her Hiawassee home raped and molested her. Ralston has put off that case in Towns County Superior Court for at least eight times. And now the victim is going to therapy every week trying to heal, and she's got to hang on to her memories. She can't let her memories go because she'll have to testify in court against the child molester, and David Ralston is dragging this out, and the Republicans are doing nothing about it. This is horrific. This is unjust. Welcome back to Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. It's like K-Love, but actual real good talk. Let us go back to the phones, shall we? I want to go to Zachary in Madison. You're going to be up first tonight. Welcome. Hi, Eric. Hi there. How are you? Good. How are you? Very good. Thank you. Um, I am a longtime listener. I love your show. First time caller. Well, thank you for calling in. Um, so I, uh, I haven't heard very much about this in the news, and I, uh, well, you're my most trusted source, so I want to run it by you. Um, I heard some whispers about Ted Cruz has a plan to seize or to uh, take money that's been seized from El Chapo to help build the wall. Is this something that could actually happen, and what are your thoughts on this? Well, so apparently El Chapo has like $15 billion. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Who knew? I, I mean, maybe we should all be drug lords. <laughs> no kidding. Um, yeah, so, yes, uh, Ted Cruz has introduced uh, legislation in the Senate that would take the money seized from El Chapo and use it to build the wall. And essentially, the argument from Ted Cruz is that most of the drugs that have come across the border from Mexico have come from El Chapo's cartel over the years. And we can use his money to secure the border. 
I don't know that it's going to go anywhere because Democrats at this point have gotten very religious about the idea of the wall. Uh, They have imputed morality and immorality to the issue of the wall. And because they have made not building the wall a moral cause, I don't know that that resolution can pass. It makes sense. Listen, up until Donald Trump, Democrats supported building the wall. But with Donald Trump, uh, suddenly it's become an issue of morality for the Democrats. Uh, All these things take on religious characteristics like the Green New Deal, and they become zealots over it. And they don't want to build the wall, which is unfortunate. Uh, so I don't know that it'll pass, but Cruz is going to push for it. Uh, maybe he can get through the Senate. I don't know that he can get through the House. Y'all, I, I, I want to read you a little more of this AJC story about David Ralston. And listen, I, I don't, I don't like David Ralston. Um, years ago, I was telling the story to a friend of mine years ago, David Ralston invited me out to, lunch uh, with a mutual friend. We had a great conversation and uh, seemed to get along just fine. And at one point I said something critical about David Ralston and and suddenly, I mean, it was like a Jekyll and Hyde scenario. Uh, He and his staff just, they they couldn't abide any criticism at all. And at that point, listen, there are lots of people who, they don't like criticism. and, And there are a lot of people in the state legislature who come to me regularly and say things like, um, why don't you talk to us behind the scenes? In fact, I got this on the Equal Rights Amendment. Members of the state said, well, why don't you just call us behind the scenes and tell us what you think instead of blowing us up on the radio? And I, that's a valid criticism, and I get that, but that's not my job. My job is to tell you guys what's happening to the state legislature, not to tell the state legislature their job. They should know these things, and if they don't, well, my job is to tell you the dumb things they're doing or tell you the good things they're doing. And the fact that you have this Jekyll and Hyde personality of of you can get access and all these other grand and glorious things, but the moment you offer criticism, you can't. I mean, contrast that with Brian Kemp, who I've been critical of the governor on the radio during the campaign, and... I never was treated like I should be punished for being critical. They would reach out, try to find common ground, or at least to explain their side. Um, but I've otherwise had a very good working relationship with the governor, and, and we don't always agree on things. And I'm willing to say on the radio, I, I disagree with the governor. But they're not thin-skinned or petty, the governor's office. They're still good people. Uh, and, and I just I've, I've come to the conclusion of the years that is someone that vindictive, petty and thin skinned as David Ralston uh, isn't actually a good person. And the story from the AJC is just indicative of him not being a good person. He's using his power as Speaker of the House to deny justice from being happened from, from justice happening. It is not a lawyer's role to keep justice from happening. It is a lawyer's role to ensure that justice happens fairly. And he's abusing the process as speaker to deny the ability for things to go to trial. In fact, as as House Speaker Ralston, who practices law in rural mountainous counties in North Georgia, can claim conflicts year-round as Speaker of the House. In 21 cases examined in four North Georgia counties over a two-year period, he filed 57 requests for continuances because he was Speaker. Of the 93 days he claimed to be unavailable for court, 76 of them were outside of legislative sessions and special sessions. That's just some of the stories here. Uh, victims are horrific. 
I just I I want to I want you to focus on one of them as a parent. Many of you you're in your car right now. I'll be delicate uh, because you probably have your kids with you. And as a parent, I want you to think about this. If you're a parent right now, and I'm a parent, and I have a 13 year old daughter, I I want you just to dwell on this for a moment. If you're a Republican in the state house, I want you to dwell on this for a moment. It's been more than five years since a 14-year-old girl told police that a traveling evangelist who preached at her church and stayed at her home raped and molested her. Ralston has been able to put the case off at least eight times, citing his duties as speaker. Now the victim's a young adult, and she goes to therapy every week trying to heal, but she can't let it go because she must preserve every memory of that night in case she's ever cross-examined. Can you imagine your child having to hold on to the memories of being raped? and molested, of never being allowed to let those memories go, because if you do, the bad guy's going to get off and still be out there. All you want is justice. All you want is your day in court. And David Ralston is using his position to make sure that never happens. You as a parent, Forget right from left, Republican from Democrat, you as a parent. How can you think it is a good thing for the Speaker of the House of Representatives to use his position to ensure that a child molester never has to hold, have his day in court? How can Republicans in the state of Georgia let this go? How can Republicans in the state of Georgia who just lost the suburbs and are operating, who won't even pass religious freedom legislation because they're scared that people in the suburbs won't like it, how will they like it to know that their child could be the one who can't ever let go of being abused because the Speaker of the House is using his power to make sure the bad guy never has his day in court? How are the suburbs going to like that? How are you going to like that? How would you like it if you was if it was your child? How would you in the state legislature want to be confronted? In fact, I I I got to urge you people. All of you, if you see your state representative, I don't care Democrat or Republican this weekend, I think you should ask them, what do they think about the speaker of the house using his power to let a child molester be able to never have a day in court to face justice? What do they think about the Speaker of the House using his power to ensure that a child victim who was raped is never allowed to find closure because he's using his power to keep the bad guy from facing justice? I think you need to ask your state representative that this weekend if you see him. I think you should ask him tomorrow. I think you should ask him every single day until David Ralston's held accountable for this. It's not a matter of right and wrong or a matter of right right and left. It's not a matter of Republican and Democrat. This is a matter of doing the right thing. This is a matter of justice. This is a matter of letting a victim of rape finally have closure 
and letting a bad guy face justice. And our speaker in our state is preventing that from happening merely by virtue of being able to write a letter saying, I'm the speaker, he's my client, we don't have to go to court. I'm going to make it easy for you guys to reach out to your state representative because I think you need to know if your state representative thinks this is a good thing. They should be forced, all of them, the good ones, the bad ones, the ones who really think you should go but are too scared to say it publicly, they should all have to go on record over whether or not they think this is the right thing. No one wants to hold David Ralston accountable for this. No one in the state legislature is buzzing about this today. No one is out there calling for him to resign. Text the word speaker to 345-345. Text the word speaker to 345-345. And let's see if we can find some accountability for what's happening. So during commercial break, I got a very just it's a fascinating insight into the state legislature. Uh, a, a state representative actually texted me, Democrat state representative, as a matter of fact, and said to try to understand this Ralston situation from their perspective. Uh, Democrats and moderate Republicans are afraid that if Ralston leaves, a more conservative speaker will be put in position. Uh, the conservatives have no clout to oust him, so it's on the moderate Republicans, and they're scared of losing the suburbs and think they can withstand the storm about Ralston because he's a lawyer doing his job. The governor is too new to weigh in, and the lieutenant governor is focused on the Senate. So there you have it. Uh, Democrats are afraid that the next speaker would be more conservative. Moderates think they can weather the storm, and conservatives have no clout, so the speaker can stay. Uh, there's There's got to be some way to disrupt the system. This is unacceptable. This is absolutely unacceptable. Uh, but we'll move on. When we come back, uh, the Andrew McCabe situation, what he told CBS and why it's probably not true. It's the second hour, Atlanta's Evening News. I'm Eric Erickson. The phone number is 404-872-0750-1800, WSB-TALK. And if you want to get your state representative on record as to whether or not they think the Speaker of the House needs to either uh, let these trials go forward or he needs to step down as Speaker, text the word SPEAKER to 345-345 and I'll send you all out a link uh, where you can click it, put in your phone number, click it, and connect you directly to your state representative to get them on record because these guys are feeling no pressure at all to do anything about the speaker. We need to move on, though, to Andrew McCabe. Uh, Andrew McCabe, he's no brighter than James Comey, it appears. Uh, The whole thing is a little bit ridiculous, and I want to play you some of the audio. It's making news, lots of buzz, and, um, well, just, just check this out. The most illuminating and surprising thing in the interview to me were these eight days in May yeah. when all of these things were happening behind the scenes that the American people really didn't know about. There were meetings 
at the Justice Department in which it was discussed whether the vice president and a majority of the cabinet could be brought together to remove the president of the United States under the 25th Amendment. These were the eight days from Comey's firing to the point that Robert Mueller was appointed special counsel. And the highest levels of American law enforcement were trying to figure out what to do with the president. That's Scott Pelley regarding Andrew McCabe's book. I don't actually believe it. Um, well, let me tell you what I do believe. Um, what I do believe is that Andrew McCabe and some, well, so, some junior level members of the Justice Department at the staff level, the non-appointed level, probably got together to complain and gripe about the president. It is pretty clear that Andrew McCabe is a Democrat. In fact, we I mean, we know his wife ran for the state legislature in Virginia as a Democrat. Uh, it's pretty clear that Andrew McCabe himself is a Democrat. Uh, he can say that he's given money to Republicans or whatnot, but but pretty clear. Uh, if not a Democrat, definitely uh, no fan of the president's and wasn't during the campaign. And that, I think, shows you just how poisonous the atmosphere became for the president with at the top levels of the FBI. You had all these people who were totally down with the cause for Barack Obama. And they see this guy coming in, Donald Trump, this great disruptor, and they believe the absolute worst about him. They saw the people around him. They knew that Paul Manafort had his issues. So they began making presumptions about the president that put the president in the worst possible light in their mind and then proceeded accordingly in the same way that Donald Trump's team believed the absolute worst about Hillary Clinton and proceeded accordingly. It doesn't make him look good. So I have no doubt at all that Andrew McCabe and people within the Justice Department got together and started talking about this. Oh, do you think we can get together? Oh, everybody's buzzing about the 25th Amendment. Remember, there were lots of editorial writers at the Washington Post, the New York Times, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all about um, the the, um, the 25th Amendment. They, they were all focused on the 25th Amendment. They were all... Uh, conspiring with each other and plotting in the editorial pages of how can we get the cabinet to do this? Oh, can we get enough votes? And I actually don't think that it was anything serious. I don't think it was at the level of anyone being able to do anything. It was all idle gossip. And what Andrew McCabe is doing here to sell books and otherwise is to try to make idle gossip sound much more like uh, it was a bigger issue. I just, I, I don't believe that there was anything real there. I don't believe there was anything uh, that could have happened. I mean, I can tell you from talking to members of, some of the president's cabinet are actually really good friends of mine. Let's not forget, um, Nikki Haley, I've been a friend of Nikki Haley since 2009. I've been a friend of Rick Perry since before that. Uh, I've known the vice president for a decade. I mean, heck, the whole reason the president got my cell phone number was because the vice president gave it to him because he's got it. And I've known these people. And I, I know some of the other cabinet members as well. I've gotten to know them over time. We've been at events together. 
And I can tell you to a person of all the ones that I've talked to in the cabinet, none of them have ever said that the 25th Amendment conversations were real. In fact, to a person, every single one of them have said it's not true. In fact, when Rick Perry, the Secretary of Energy, was at the resurgent gathering in Austin, Texas this past August, the subject came up on stage and he said it's not actually like what you read in the media. The president is not this guy going off the reservation all the time, yelling and, and blowing up every day. It, it's it's the, the working White House does not actually function like that. There is no grand cabal of, of cabinet officers. In fact, Nikki Haley in her op-ed in the New York Times refer, uh, uh, about the anonymous op-ed, or hers was in the Washington Post, said that none of this has happened. None of these things have happened. Well, what I think is going on here is, is Andrew McCabe is trying to sell books and the way he's gone about selling the books is he's trying to elevate stories into really big things. He's trying to make mountains out of molehills. So, yeah, he and some junior staffers, they were sitting around. They were complaining about the president. And one of them said, hey, what about the 25th Amendment? Did you read the op-ed in the New York Times? Go, oh, yeah, I read the op-ed in the New York Times. Who do you think we could get on the cap? Could, could we get Perry? Could we get Pitts? Could we get Pompeo? Could, could Or at the time, what's his name? Could, could we get uh, Wilbur Ross? Could we get any of these guys? And they they did the whip count in their heads. Nah, can't do it. And in the book, it suddenly becomes Justice Department officials met to decide could they get the cabinet together. He's trying to sell books. Andrew McCabe's got nothing. Remember, remember when Andrew McCabe was fired, he lost his pension. He didn't get his full retirement. So he's bitter because he got ousted right before his retirement should have fully vested. He's got to sell books. He's got to sell books to make money. We should not stand in Andrew McCabe's way of peddling these stories, making them into mountains from molehills, because otherwise we're all going to have to subsidize him on, on government welfare because he's got to be able to earn a living somehow. And his living is to, well, sell resistance fan fiction. Tell him what they want to hear because you know these liberals are going to eat it up. They're going to say, oh, I knew this was true and it's Andrew McCabe. It's got to be true. Nah, it's not, but it's going to sell him some books and make him some money. Uh, the phone number here is 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Uh, this Green New Deal comes at the time that uh, Texas crude production is at a record high. I remember when I was in school, and in fact, up until really in the last, I mean, couple of years, some schools probably still buy into this, that it was um, that crude production was always going to be on the decline. Population was going to explode and crude oil production was going to be on the decline. This is one of the reasons why I have a hard time buying all the hysteria over climate change, even if I think the climate is changing, is how wrong these people have been regularly on this stuff. The population explosion turns out globally population is on decline. The, the, the decline in crude oil, and yet we're pumping out more crude oil than ever before. They just can't seem to get it right. And it's always amazing how their solutions are always the same, no matter how badly wrong they get it. When we come back, Amazon's moving from New York. This Amazon story, man, I hope that the Republicans in Georgia don't try to lure them back. Amazon says they're not going to go anywhere else. 
welcome back. It's Eric Erickson. The phone number is 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Amazon was going to divide up their headquarters in Northern Virginia, in Crystal City, Virginia, and in Long Island in New York. In a part of Queens, actually, uh, outside part of New York City. And real estate was starting to go through the roof. What's so crazy here is the way New York convinced Amazon to go to New York was with billions of dollars in subsidies to lure Amazon. Essentially, Amazon turned it into a reality contest. And states around the country prostituted themselves, including Georgia, uh, to Amazon. And Amazon went with the states that prostituted themselves the most. New York was that state. Uh, But Amazon decided they had to have headquarters in Northern Virginia as well. Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post. He's got a a multi-million dollar compound there. He's got to have a presence in D.C. because he can't just own everything else in America. He's also got to own Congress. So it was a no-brainer they were going to put part of their headquarters there. They also put some of their distribution facilities in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, but the bulk of their headquarters would be in New York City. And white New Yorkers, and I must say white New Yorkers, got really been out of shape about it. They didn't like the subsidies. They didn't like the cost to the state. They didn't like all the infrastructure stuff that would happen. They didn't like the impact on the environment. They didn't like all these things. Meanwhile, something like uh, 70% of Hispanic and black voters in New York loved the deal. But it was rich white people who were most outraged by it. And Amazon said, forget it. We're we're not going to do this then. So Amazon will go to Virginia and Nashville in part, but largely they will stay in Seattle now. Uh, twice in the last couple of weeks, people have tried to take on Jeff Bezos, and he's having none of it. A uh, buddy of mine refers to him as Lord Bezos, and Lord Bezos is not going to stand for anybody disrespecting Amazon. The part I have a problem with are the states prostituting themselves to Amazon. I I don't have a problem with Amazon engaging in this competition to see uh, basically it's it's Bachelor, but uh, the corporation involved and passing out roses to contestants and making a proposal at the end. I, I don't have a problem with that. It's Amazon's right to do that. It's just that I don't think the states should have participated. You know, it's, it's one thing to say that you're okay with prostitution. It's another thing to, to say don't prostitute yourself. Now, I'm not actually in favor of, of either. But in something like this where the states want to make a bid, I'm totally okay with Amazon wanting to do it. I just don't think states should participate. And I certainly hope that Georgia doesn't circle back around and uh, to try again to lure Amazon. Uh, that in and of itself, uh, it was outrageous the first time. The amount of money in their calculation and the calculation in New York State, to be fair, was that they could pay all this money to Amazon to come in and property values would go up around them. So residential real estate values would go up. So in, uh, property taxes would go up. They would have more people there. So sales tax revenue would go up. They would have be attracting jobs. You got to remember that New York State has a problem. That problem is called Florida. A lot of New Yorkers are fleeing New York for Florida because of the income tax reform. Their taxes are going to go up in New York because their state taxes. I'm running out of breath here trying to make these sentences string together. The, the state taxes in New York are so high 
And under the old federal tax income tax code, you could write off your state taxes, and now you're capped. And so people in New York are realizing they're going to get walloped in the federal tax code, so they're moving to Florida. Uh, what's his name? Andrew Cuomo, the dim-witted governor of New York, is he's all upset about this and demanding that Florida impose an income tax or do something to make it better for New York. And unfortunately for New Yorkers, they're finally, finally going to realize just how much they pay in taxes to the state of New York. And maybe there'll be a tax revolt in New York. That's what he's scared of. These big corporate deals, you know, so I was on a city council down in Macon for a number of years, as you probably know. And what you probably don't know is that I was also a lawyer for a number of years and did a lot of these tax abatement deals in Georgia to bring in big corporations. Essentially, you you structure a deal that gets them out of having to pay property taxes on their massive plot of land uh, the way you could structure it as a bond deal. In Georgia, it's changed somewhat since I was doing it, but basically there are all sorts of ways that you can lure businesses into your state. Uh, Some of them, you have an economic authority that puts up money and essentially you're paying the businesses to come. This is one of the things I, I really found commendable about Brian Kemp and the way he was running for governor was the recognition that the state of Georgia sometimes pours so many resources into trying to bring big companies into Georgia that they ignore the existing businesses in the state. And so sometimes, you know, we, we've had the situation in the past, uh, it's a Republican and a Democratic issue, where you bring a giant business into the state of Georgia that has competitors that just aren't as big, and suddenly you're putting the pre-existing businesses in Georgia at a competitive disadvantage. I don't like that idea. And it's nice that we have a governor who recognizes that can be a problem. And I'm, I'm just hoping that the Chamber of Commerce and whatnot don't circle back and uh, try to lure Amazon to come to Georgia because I just think it would be terrible. Uh, you know, Peggy Noonan had a very good point earlier, the Washington the Wall Street Journal columnist, that the most comfortable position for politicians in, in the world right now is to oppose something you think has no shot of passing or to support something you think uh, has no shot of passing. And then when it does pass, you're like, oh, well, I'm actually, these things have a shot of passing and I'm opposed Uh, I think it would be terrible for Georgia to spend as many resources as we have to lure Amazon to the state and have them come. I think it would just it's it's not a good thing if the if they want to come, come because of Georgia's business climate. Don't custom package events and business plans for these big businesses to come, because otherwise you're rigging things against your pre-existing businesses. Y'all, my friend Jesse Kelly over in Houston. Uh, some of you, if you follow him on, on Twitter, Jesse Kelly DC. <laughs> so for Valentine's Day, his wife came home from work and there was a trail of rose petals that Jesse had poured down, leading his wife to the stove. <laughs> This is this is so typically something he would do. Yes, she came up. She would have put a video on Instagram or on Twitter rather that the the, <laughs> the trail of rose petals leads to the stove. <laughs> wow! Oh my goodness gracious! Also, I I so I just got I got to tell you guys this. Um, so I I sent out that roast chicken recipe I was telling you guys about, and I sent it out earlier today, and I sent it out from my personal email. 
address with the resurgent, not from a not from a fake one where if you reply, it doesn't come to me. It actually it, it actually does. Well, I sent it out this afternoon, and so you get all the auto responses. Well, there was one I got. I had to resend it this afternoon or just like ten minutes ago because there was an error, and got an email back from someone says this person no longer works at this company. Uh, I guess they were fired in the last hour because earlier today I didn't get that message. My goodness gracious. Sorry for them. Eesh.